So, so Craig's entrusted me to uh, deliver this prequel Christmas message to you. And uh, we just honor Craig as his knee recovers. And uh, just thank him for being so, and Kathy, so organized and diligent uh, in this transition period. Um, next Sunday evening at 5 p.m., we will have the actual story of Jesus' birth from Luke 2. But today is, is, is Luke 1. And what are we celebrating? Um, the birth of Christ, the coming of the King, the Messiah, uh, the promised one, um, God, God with us. Often theologians reflect, what is, what is the real event? What's the most important event of Christianity? Is it the birth? Is it the cross? Is it the resurrection? I think they're all really important. The last five years, I've, what I've personally found really exciting is, is the life of Christ as a blueprint to how he wants us to do mission. That's, that's really fresh for me. And, but also incarnation, which is what we're going to talk about today. So the last 30 years, many missional theologians, people that study God's success in the world with the nations, they've noticed it's, it's the incarnational, the inside-out missions that bear the most fruit. Whereas if it's top-down, coercive, hierarchical, or using commercial means, it doesn't, doesn't bear the long-term fruit because it doesn't change the human heart. God starts by changing from within. Amen? Hallelujah. So um, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary, which is really, really deep and is an incredible pattern for true fellowship in the new covenant. We're also going to be talking about Mary's song of joy, which is called the Magnificat. Okay, it doesn't mean big cat, okay? It's Latin. Um, and we've been reluctant in the evangelical world to actually talk about this because of, we were so afraid of anything that approaches worshiping, worshiping Mary. We're not going to talk about worshiping Mary today. We're going to see Mary as a servant who said a deep, abandoned yes to God's call in her life. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, so what is, it, what is interesting in Mary's song, the Magnificat, is just some, just some facts for you. Um, there is no song in the history of the church that has been written more about these verses than the Magnificat since the 6th century. And it's the last prayer, the evening prayers of both Anglican and, and Catholic churches since the 6th century. They end by singing or, or in their liturgy, uh, the Magnificat. So it's certainly been influential. Magnificat anima mia dominum, which is the first line of what she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And we'll also contrast this with Zechariah's response. You cannot ignore the fact that Luke has purposely put these two examples together. And you can see the failure, um, now I'm going to get very me too here, the failure of the patriarchal religious system that refused to believe when Gabriel came to him. And yet the woman on the outside in the nothing, the northern suburbs, an insignificant person says a deep yes. Can you see God is beginning his stumbling his bowling ball of turning everything upside down, which Jesus loves to do. Uh, hallelujah. Um, I was driving down to Yankalilla actually on Friday night, and, you know, it's just been so busy at work with COVID and then Christmas and then trying to organize, you know. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'll be honest, the, I've been so bit the last few weeks, you actually, you know, when you start to feel, wow, I'm actually feel distant from God. Has anyone experienced that? And you know it's not good, but you know, you shouldn't, you actually should be feeling close to him this, this season. And we're driving around the corner of um, baby Joseph, Joseph was singing some rendition of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, <laughs> which is a little, an off fifth interval, but it sounds good. Um, 
we're driving around the corner of Selix Hill, and you know how this storm, this storm came over, and you could see three, do you know Virga rain, when it rains and then it disappears by the sun? You could see three layers of rain with this unbelievable musk sunset and then spiraling lightning, just spiraling. And, and, I just thought, and it was like God was saying, no, dude, I'm still here and I'm with you and I'm glorious. So the Gospel of Luke, like Acts, is written by a physician who traveled with Paul and he was a master of chronological detail. His writings use more extensive Greek vocabulary than any of the other Gospels. And he gives us insights about what happened prior to the birth of Christ that you don't see in the other Gospels. Most importantly, what I love about Luke's Gospel and Acts is he always seems to have us Gentiles, the nations, in mind. Um, so a little bit of context to, really, to understand what's really going on with Mary you cannot overlook the fact that there was this period, this silent years, 400 silent years. Ever had a period when you just can't, God just doesn't seem to speak to you? You just feel not close to him for a long time. Well, the Jews had this for 400 years. And it's a long time. Rise and fall of the Persian Empire, Greek Empire, rise and fall now, the Roman Empire consolidated if you're a Jewish true believer back then you'd be thinking what what's really going on was that was that all in our minds the prophet what is God still alive does he really care what about all those promises about streams in the desert reforestation projects in Saudi Arabia that Isaiah talks about the lion lying down with the lamb salvation from sin was this just all in our minds and here's an easy quiz for you guys, because I know you know the scriptures. Well, what's the last thing God said in the Old Testament before the silent years? What's the last? Well, okay. I've got an even harder quiz for you guys in a minute, but that's all right. Malachi 4.5. Last verse of the Old Testament. I'm going to send Elijah before the great and coming day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And what does the angel Gabriel say to Zacharias in the, in the holy place of the temple? He quotes this line. A lot of inspirational Christians over the years have said, if you're going through a really tough time, like a wilderness experience, you just can't hear God speak to you anymore. He's working, but you need to go back to what he did last say to you. Because God doesn't lie. And he's true to his word. Those 400 silent years, God was still acting. He was just waiting for the right perfect time. He'd said all he needed to say on the outside. But now he wanted to become his word inside us and change everything upside down. So we move to the, uh, Luke chapter 1. It talks about um, Zacharias and Elizabeth. It describes them as both righteous in the sight of, the, of, of God. So they were from the tribe of Levi, um, Abijah and, and Aaron, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Not perfect, 
but the scriptures say blameless. We don't like this sort of statements as evangelicals because we want to believe in salvation through faith by grace in Christ. And you actually are seeing in this story the end and the collapse of, of the patriarchal religious system of the law. But still, the scriptures say they lived a blameless life. There is a deep reward for living a blameless and righteous life. Don't waste your life running away from God, waiting for him to discipline you because he loves you. Don't waste your life doing that. Get on and live a righteous life. Now, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, infertile, and they were both, both advanced in years. So Elizabeth in this story is now representing all of the women of Scripture that have gone before her. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Samson's mum, Elisha's Shunammite woman, woman that were devoted but had a conscious or unconscious longing to be more fruitful. So Zechariah was chosen by Lot to burn incense. The Jews believed the incense altar was like prayers going up. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was very afraid. And the angel Gabriel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall name him John. You'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice over his birth. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. That's Malachi right there. God was always here. This is, this is another key I've learned from, the, from great theologians. Because God chooses to be silent is actually proof that he is a living being. Do you get that? There are many psalms where God won't speak for a while. The fact God can choose to be silent because he's actually doing something else, it proves that he has a will and emotions and he's actually doing something. It's like when my wife, who comes from an Irish extraction, if she gives me, praise God, it's very rarely, if she gives me the silent treatment, I know she's there. <laughs> so God was silent for 400 years, but he's there and he has never forgotten his word to his people that he will send Elijah, which becomes in the spirit of John the Baptist. Now, I just want to, we're not going to dwell on this, but I just, I just want to note Zechariah, who obviously knows the scriptures, being a man of prayer, he says to an archangel standing before him, how can I be certain this is true? For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. He's, he's typical of, of a rational man who presents God with two hard, scientific, provable facts as though he should know more about how the universe works than God. But how often we wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, who many how often we present God with limited facts of useless frailty against his plans for our lives. And he loses the right to speak. And we'll move on to Mary. We can be very religious and devoted, but actually have an unbelieving heart. So let's look at Mary's response. A young Jewish girl engaged to a man in the northern suburbs of Israel, Nazareth, Galilee of the Gentiles. As far as we can tell, Mary was not extremely poor nor extremely wealthy. Um, probably would not have had her own career for Jewish women back then. 
not much influence, as I've said, in a very patriarchal society, probably 14 to 15 years old. She was betrothed, preparing for marriage. Um, like many of her peers, we know from Luke 3, she was also of the tribe of Judah, of David. And God is bringing an unexpected addition to her family. Betrothal in the ancient world was part of a two-stage marriage process. The initial phase, the betrothal involved a formal witness agreement to marry and the giving of a bridal price. At this point, the bride legally became the, uh, the groom and uh, the, the groom's possession and could be called his wife. But about year, a, a year later, the actual marriage followed and the husband took his wife home. In the first century, betrothal could take place at any age after 12. Mary's age is unstated. But it's during this betrothal stage that Gabriel answers the news. And many, many commentators have noticed the way Gabriel, same angel, speaks to Zechariah, completely different the way he comes to Mary. Have you noticed when he comes to Mary, it's, it's almost unassuming familiarity. He says, greetings. Greetings, favoured one. And many, many have said, this is, the begin- this is really the first grace encounter, just like God has come to us in unexpected and familiar ways. This is the beginning of covenant grace. We all know the story. Behold, you will conceive in your, room, give, in your womb, give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary says, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age and she who was called infertile is now in a six-month pregnancy because nothing is... That's part of the Christmas message. Nothing's impossible for God. Why do we get so anxious and depressed? Do, do we really believe Omicron is going to stop God's plan to redeem the entire earth? Now, I don't have the background or understanding to know exactly what happened to Mary scientifically or spiritually, but I tell you this, what I know from the Nicene Creed, it wasn't just a tiny bit of God that moved into her through the Holy Spirit. In him, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. The God who would decide the day each one of you would die and your eternal reward in Christ, who is turning the Milky Way on its axis right now, who designed the leafy sea dragon down at Rapid Bay, that God was put into Mary's womb. But yet truly human, so that we share in his victory. I can't understand this. Mary, she doesn't know quite know what's going on, but she knows it's big and she knows it's important. And she just says, Behold the Lord's bondservant. May it be done to me according to your word. This is an obedience of abandonment, come what may, but it's glorious. And this is why she's qualified to sing the Magnificat. Can you see the contrast with Zechariah? Same angel, similar message. 
The insignificant one on the outer fringes, a woman no less, believes God. The male at the center of the temple who knew the scriptures needed more proof. But this is the new covenant. And as I said, it begins with the vindication, affirmation of the dignity of women. Isaiah 54, the serpent's head crushed by the seed of the... Amen. Would you have done any better? Why do we doubt so easily? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because faith believes that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Amen. Amen. So before we highlight a few verses of the Magnificat, I just want us to catch a vision of the depth of fellowship that's about to take place between Elizabeth and, and Mary. Okay? This is really, this is really moving and instructive as our communities grow in, in Lobethal, Mount Barker, Verdun, here in Allgate. And most commentators say there's a direct, she would not have sung the Magnificat if she didn't first experience the joy of deep fellowship from the witness of Elizabeth in her child to her child. You get me? We need the burning fellowship for the synergy for the Holy Spirit to do its greater work in each of us. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, okay? Elizabeth would have been entering probably a third trimester, okay? Um, Mary visits her house, her home. Radical, radical. Um, oh, no, we're reasonably good at this. But we, do you remember Dave's sermon on hospitality a few weeks? We don't want to lose this one. There's these studies coming out in London now where loneliness is like the biggest killer than smoking, you can track mental illness and depression proportionally or disproportionately to the time someone's ever had a visit ever from anyone, friend or family. We want to be a community of love. Do you hear me? For 2022. Mary visits. She doesn't just visit and have a quick cuppa and, you know, or, or, or go down to the, you know, a Jerusalem coffee house. She stays in her home for three months. They have deep fellowship. They would have been praying together. There would have been spiritual transactions going on between John the Baptist and Jesus, even in the wombs. Um, so it says here, when Elizabeth first heard Mary's Greek greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. I've had the privilege of being in the Middle East on a number of mission trips. Palestinian Christian women, they do this bizarre thing. When they, if they really love one another and they haven't seen each other for a while, when they come into their house, they, they just feel so excited and they go, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When I was first there and all these women, we were in this kitchen, we were visiting someone who was pregnant and all these Palestinian women just start, for about 10 minutes, they're going, <laughs> Am I, like aliens or something? I didn't know I told me. Is there like some tongue I don't know about in Christian Palestinia or whatever? Um, they do this because they're just so excited to be present, but it's kind of beyond words. And then they'll just sit there for like six hours and have cups of 
Turkish coffee or, or, or tea, and, and they're just content peacefully to be together. It, it's hard to describe it unless you've, unless you've, but it's a little bit different how, you know, how we block out every single minute of our day, and we're not so good at just that abiding which Christ longs to do in each of our hearts. So just a little bit of plug from the science point of view. Can unborn babies sense stuff outside of the womb? Are babies sentient spiritual beings before they're born? I hope some of you walk in February, walk for life. Amen. Can babies sense the Holy Spirit? Can John sense the Holy Spirit of Jesus in Mary? You see that you see that we are, even science is still discovering unbelievable connections in this whole mother-baby relationship. You know, you, many of you, uh, the women would know that, but you know, as soon as the skin is touched after the baby is born, there's all this crazy stuff going in the back of the pituitary gland to produce oxytocin proportional to how much of that baby's cheek is here on the chest of the mother. You can literally see a graph. It's called the letdown reflex for the nurses here. That itself is a picture of what Christmas is. As we abide beyond words in Christ, there is a letdown reflex of blessing of milk coming to us. And that's just one. I could give you 12 scientific examples of the pattern of heaven seen in that bonding relationship. It's just, it's, it's just out of this world. So here is a picture of deep conanoia fellowship. Fellowship in that this is the first New Testament kingdom living. How many people are here? There's Elizabeth, right? Mary. John's here. Do we agree? John's here. Jesus is here, right? The Holy Spirit is here because it says they're full of the Holy Spirit. And the Father arranged the whole thing. Can you see? And they are united and they are full of joy and encouragement in each other's calling in a mission that's way beyond them. And they're full of joy. And, and they're praying and blessing one another. Elizabeth is prophesying and blessing Mary to joyfully continue in the calling for which God has committed her. It's not two women sitting around gossiping and complaining about the elders or the leaders. Or, it's deep encouragement. It's what Paul says, I wish you would all have spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, but I really wish you would prophesy, which is to remind people, I'm not talking about speaking the future and crazy stuff. Prophesying is when we remind each other that we are new creations with a unique calling and purpose in God's plan for us. Reminding us and seeing us not according to the flesh. She could have been very negative to Mary, but she said, no, blessed are you and the fruit of your room. And blessed are you for saying yes to God. Can you see the encouragement that's going on? This is Conanoia Fellowship. In someone's house. Not a McDonald's. Someone's house. So let's move on to Mary's song. So I hope you guys see there's a witness to, there's a witness that allows the Holy Spirit to begin to pour out of Mary and she just begins to sing 
this magnificent song, The Magnificat. Um, many have noticed that a, a computer can do maths, an engineer can do complex maths. No artificial intelligence can write poetry, but a song written in the Holy Spirit, it's off the charts. But if you don't have fellowship and you, if you, if you choose to quench the Spirit, you will not activate those deeper parts of your being that are allowed. As Mary is singing, she's actually singing in her spirit the rise and fall of empires and kingdoms because of her son and the work that he has to do. She's seeing way beyond herself. She's spontaneously quoting scripture from Psalm, anyone know that was the hard quiz? 103, okay. She's, because she's allowing the release of the Holy Spirit within her just to, like those Palestinian Arabic Christians, just allowing God to be glorified in what he's doing. She's abandoned to the plan. When we're abandoned, the wellspring can rise up. Hallelujah. When I used to work in the hospitals in the U.S., 2 a.m., I'd finish sometime. I could hear this Afro-American cleaning woman. She would have been on lower than minimum wage here. And she would just be singing, and these incredible Christian songs would reverberate through the hospital, hospital corridors, you know. Because he's <laughs> And she, you know, she went home. She was a single mom, back of the tracks, nothing much, very small house. But she, I knew, she knew Christ in a way I didn't know. I was jealous of. So Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things. For me, holy is his name. I just want to emphasize that me. I've been reading a lot of books lately on counseling people with depression in the Christian church. And the one thing that all the counselors have noticed, we as Christians can give a lot away easily. We give. Holy Spirit's in us. We want to give. We want to love. But we can actually give out so much. And I'm, I'm sure Judy can relate to uh, a, a little bit of this. You can actually give out so much that after a while, you're not quite sure who you are anymore. Especially when some of those relations were soured or some of those people died or betrayed us. If you've given out incredibly, it's actually hard to know well, what, what you talk to women with PND postnatal depression they'll say it doctor i love i love my baby i love my husband but i don't know who i am anymore but it's very interesting mary is not sinning yet she's proclaiming that she herself personally is involved in god's work and that gives great glory to god when jesus before he goes to the cross he says father i have finished the work i have finished the work that you have given me to do he doesn't just pretend not to exist because when we as sovereign beings created to fulfill God's command are honest with our testimony, that gives more glory to God than if we're in false piety or false humility. So Mary is proud to say, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. Her mercy extend for the, to those who fear him from generation to generation. That's a direct quote from Psalm 103. She knew her scriptures. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms, scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the, the humble. And we can go to the picture slides now. She is seeing into the future that this one in her is going to bring rulers to their knees. 
and he's just done that. This is a song about victory, the perfection of justice. She knows this son is going to turn the whole world upside down. And I wonder, I wonder if Mary remembered the words of the Magnificat when she witnessed her son on the cross, nailed to the cross. And he said to a woman, behold your son. He was pointing to John because he wanted John to look after her after he'd gone. Did, did Mary remember as she saw him crucified that as he was on that cross, he was about to bring down Satan's throne forever? The seed of the woman. He has filled the hungry with good things. Oh, that's just... Uh, if you look... This is for people that are interested in Old Testament theology. If you look carefully, Elizabeth and Mary are like Hannah as a prefiguration. Remember Hannah? Remember we were looking at David earlier. There are so many themes in Mary's song that are almost the same, not word for word, but the theme is very much the same in Hannah's song when she first um, uh, conceives with, with, with Samuel. So 53, verse 50, He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. There's a key in here. He fills the hungry with good things. It echoes the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I pray that in 2022, we're going to be devoted, but we're going to be hungry. We're going to be hungry. Like Hannah, like Sarah, like Elizabeth, like Rachel, Rebecca, let's be hungry. And we can sing with Mary because like her, each one of us have been surprised, have we not, by unmerited grace. This Christmas, let us remember God has saved us so he can be with us, Emmanuel, and he wants to remain with us. What does Jesus teach us in John? Abide with me and you will bear much fruit. Abide with me and I in you. We don't need many more programs or committee meetings. That's working very well. We don't need more clutter around the house. We need the abiding presence of God, Emmanuel. But God won't force himself on anybody. We need to say an abandoned yes, like Mary, to allow Christ to make home in our hearts this Christmas. Everybody say, I in you, you in me, and I in my Father. I in you, you in me. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story of Mary. So I thought his application, we're going to close with a time of quiet, contemplative prayer put aside everything we haven't finished this year all the unwrapped presents don't worry about the turkey or the chicken forget about the cricket for a second let's just see with eyes of faith that Christ is truly standing amongst us as a faith community and Christ is in us as the hope of glory so let's pray together Father we say yes to Emmanuel this Christmas, we say a deep abandoned yes. Let your presence be with us and turn the hearts of the sons and daughters back to the fathers as we visit our families. Father, we leave behind unresolved anger and unbelieving attitudes of 22 that were rocked by COVID. And we agree that the angel that came to Mary, we agree with Gabriel that nothing is impossible when God's among us. 
Father, we re-believe for loved ones that need to cross borders, children in our congregations yet to be born, new marriages for hearts to change, new ministries that you'll birth to reach the unreached, new cures for devastating diseases. We pray for Aboriginal revival, revival in the Adelaide Hills. We pray for the return of extinct and endangered species on this earth, Father. And we repent of an unbelieving heart this Christmas. Align us with Mary that it will be truly done to us as a community according to your word. Give us strength and joy as we visit our families and others in need with lonely hearts this year. Not worried about what we might say or what we have to give, but with the peaceful reassurance that you are in us and you're with us. And that's the only thing that matters. And finally, Father, if, if some of us are feeling really dry and, and, and God seems a long way off, help us to remember what he last spoke to us through his word and by his spirit. And let's cling to that until we see it fulfilled. Holy Spirit, lead us to sing this Christmas with joy unquenchable and see your blessing poured out on this land. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 